Could you each just state your name? I'm Leslie Martinez. And I'm Juanita Pierre. And what's your relationship to each other? Partners of 36 years. So could you start out by just telling me what you were both doing in the 1970s and 80s? What was, um, what was that period in your life? Well, we didn't meet till the late 70s. And in the 80s, uh, we opened up our own club. I think 81, 82, something like that, we opened up our own gay club. We were, I was boy hopping. There were boys out there. And there was, there was one gay club, but it was like a male-female club. It, it, it didn't stand out as just a boys club or a girls club. And, it was the club where I met Leslie at Tucky's, we used to call it Tucky's Dome. Where was that located? Tucky's was on Claiborne. St. Anne? St. Anne Street? May have been one block off uh, Erlings Avenue. It, yeah, St. Anne. It was on Claiborne and St. Anne. Welcome to Last Call, an oral history of New Orleans' disappearing dyke bar scene. I'm Rachel Lee, and I'm hosting this episode with my co-producer, Free For All. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Free. So we're listening to Leslie Martinez and Juanita Pierre. They were the first women of color to own a lesbian bar in New Orleans, Les Pierre's. Yeah, they opened the bar in the 80s while Juanita was still working in the sheriff's office. It was truly a labor of love. As you heard, Juanita and Leslie have been together for over 30 years and can finish each other's sentences. We asked them about the racial dynamics of the bar scene. But you have more racism problems now than you had then. Because we hung. We hung. We had no choice. We only had the white, no of gay bars, and no black gay bars. We would go to the straight bars sometimes. So, yeah, we were a whole lot more in commune with one another back then. Because the first black gay bar, I think, was Tuckers. But it wasn't a women's bar. Excuse me, right, I know, but it was a men's bar. Excuse me. But it was the first black gay bar that I knew about. Well, we would hang out the places because we would go and watch the male go-go dancers. So we were the first black female. Yeah, we were the first black female club. Black gay people. Now, I intertwine. Well, Leslie did mostly the uh, Caucasian boys. She didn't come into the black boys, whereas I did all boys. It didn't matter to me, I just did all boys. Well, I used to go, um, I, I think I went to Brady's like maybe twice. But Brady's was a white bar. Well, they had some blacks coming in. Well, yeah, we float in and out of all the bars, but you didn't. And I went to the Grog. The Grog was, um, Grog was a white bar. No, it was it was a little of this, a little of that. We floated in. Oh, and y'all floated. Yeah, okay. we were floating. Well, now I could have been floating in, but you didn't float <laughs> to the black bars. 
Well, I really didn't know about him until I met you. Oh. <laughs> okay. As much as we sometimes don't want to talk about it, queer spaces are not colorblind. But wouldn't it be nice if there was a magical gay bubble where suddenly we didn't see race anymore? No, that would be weird. Leslie and Juanita are poking fun at a stark reality. New Orleans is deeply segregated, a landscape shaped by centuries of white supremacy. And we want to be clear about this up front because we think it's an important thread in any story you could tell about the city and it's going to be present in every episode of this podcast, whether or not it seems to be about race. On this episode, we're going to play two women's stories about going to a gay bar for the first time and how they found a sense of belonging. First, you'll hear Alda Talley, a white woman from a small town in Mississippi who came out when she moved to New Orleans for college. Then, You'll hear from Paula Kilborn, a black woman from a small town in Louisiana who came out when she moved to Baton Rouge for college. Here's Alda. The only bar in town that I knew about, which was um, Charlene's, and I knew about it because at that point in gay, lesbian, LGBT history, um, there had come to be such a thing as gay guides. And you could go to the gay bookstore and purchase a um, guide, like a national guide. Um, came in nice little pocket form. But we had a gay guide. And so we just looked up New Orleans. And Charlene's was in all the guides. There was an international guide and Charlene's was in that guide. But that's how I found out where Charlene's was. So we dutifully noted down the address and of course there was no Google map. So we got out our city map and figured out where it was and the um, drove by, you know. So I started going out to the bars in Baton Rouge. Now I'm by myself. They told me that they told me there was this bar, and it had a half moon on it. And I was scared. And at night, I would drive past it, <laughs> and I would see people out there. And I'm like, I'm scared. But, um, we were babies and scared shitless. But we would get all dressed up like we were going out on Saturday night. Um, and um, I had a car, I always had a car, and get in my car and go drive down. And of course, what we were seeing was this bar on the corner with a mirrored entry, one-way view door. And um, we would just like drive by. We might park across Elysian Fields, which was um, a very, very wide street with a neutral ground so you could park on the other side and just kind of watch from a distance. 
And we did that several times before we, like, got out of the car. So finally I got up the nerve to go. And it was mainly the white gay bar. They really, they had another black gay bar, but it was in a bad part of town. I was, had more fear going over there than going to the one on Highland Road, you know, because it was in a bad, it was in a, a, a what they call a South Baton Rouge. I don't know if anybody's from South Baton Rouge. I was working at this store called um, National Supermarket. I had my own apartment, I lived alone. And um, I was working at National, and um, it was the craziest thing. This LSU oh, student named Maria said, hey, let's go out. I said, okay, we'll go out. And I said, yeah, I don't have anything to do. When we get off, we'll go out. And she brought me to the half moon. I said, how did you know? She said, I just know, I just know. I said, I've been wanting to go to this club. Because like I said, I would pass by it, and people would be hanging out. And when I walked in, even today, it was just, wow. I, I, I had never seen men hugging. I had never seen women hugging. I had never seen a gay bar before. And, and the first 30 minutes, I was freaked out. I, it was a different world. It was a totally different world. And, but I enjoyed it. And we went once and just kind of hung out with Charlene outside and kind of like stood a little bit away on the sidewalk and just like practiced being lesbians at a bar <laughs> and how do you stand and I, it was, I mean we were total babies and total naive and I mean they're just you know, there weren't magazines, there weren't movies, there weren't shows. We This was our only visual experience of the divorcing. So it kind of eased our way into it. I kind of let loose, started. Everybody was dancing. Everybody seemed happy. Then I realized it was the rush that everybody happy. They were doing drugs in that, in that bar. They were doing a lot of drugs. They were doing rush at the time, the smell and the rush. And I've never been into drugs, never ever. And I took one sniff of it one time, and I got sick. I started throwing up, and so I uh, said, "Not that's not for me. I won't be doing this anymore." So I would go to the club, and they they would just pass it around on the dance floor, and I'd just pass it to the next person. Wow, they will behave wild. So finally, I said, you know, I don't like this scene too much either. And I met this black girl, and she said, "Why don't you go over to the black club?" She said, "You know, that's where it's really happening at the black club." Uh, I was going out every night, and so I said. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna just get up the nerve. And I rode through that and I was like, oh man, it was all the way in the back. You, it, it was like a shopping center here, and they had a store here, and you had to go all the way in the back. It was behind the shopping center 
Like, who? Man, it's one way in, one way out. Uh-uh, you know. I drove back there two or three nights in a row. What was the name of that bar? Cock and Bull. Cock and Bull. It was a hole in the wall. When I say a hole in the wall, it it, it looked like, when I moved down here, it, it looked like a shotgun house. Looked like it was maybe a, um, uh, maybe a storage place that they just added to it. And it was called Cock and Bull. And there's one way in, you open this door and then, and you go in and there's a bar and there's a pool table on this side and there's just tables over there. That's it, One, just one big room and that's it. And Cock and Bull. And that was the black hangout in Baton Rouge. When I walked in and everybody looked at me and they, and I walked up to the bar, got a beer, and he said, are you a student? Are you old enough to be in here? And I said, yeah, yeah, I am. And he's, and it was right off of Nicholson Highway. And he said, first time here, I said, yeah. And I'm looking at the place like, oh my God, it was totally different from the half moon. Half moon, everybody's dancing. And they wasn't dancing, they had the music, everybody's sitting at the table and everybody was watching me because I, I was alone and nobody knew me. And they were watching me and watching me. I drank my beer and left. I came back the next night and said, I'm not gonna let them do this to me. I'm going back. I went back the next night and then they started talking to me. They, they really, they, they walked up to the bar, one of them walked up and shook my hand. I said, hey, how you doing? New to the scene, you know, whatever. And I started hanging out there. I started hanging out. There were a lot of older black people there. They didn't have anywhere else to go. But I met a lot of friends there. I really did. Uh, and I thought they were horrible the first night, but I, it came turned out to be very nice. I met a lot of friends. Paula eventually moved from Baton Rouge to Jefferson Parish, across the river from New Orleans, and started looking for a good bar. Uh, I, a friend moved down here with me, that, and then we became lovers. But yes, we, the first club we went to, we decided to go out on New Year's Eve night. We're gonna go, we're gonna go out New Year's Eve. We're, we're gonna try this. And there was this club, and you park under the bridge. Les Pierre, park under the bridge. We get out of the car, man, we were all dressed up. Shooting started. We jumped back in the car and came home. We heard gunshot, we was like, <sighs> we were scared. We jumped back in the car, drove home. Months we wouldn't try it again. Months went by because we were scared. And, and, and I lived in Jefferson Parish. We were living in Jefferson Parish, and they talked about how horrible um, Orleans was. And the one time I tried to go out at night, shooting starts under the bridge on Claiborne. Oh, God. Boy, you talk about someone running. <laughs> we ran.
So we tried it again. We tried it again, and we did go to uh, Les Pierre. And it was very nice. It, again, the stairs when you first walk in. I don't, I found out later that people always felt that there was something wrong with you if they didn't know you, you know, because it was, why would someone, a stranger, walk into a bar, you know? So she and I started going there, and we had a good time. Second time is always better than the first time. I remember from the second time going there, uh, a lot more friendliness. People come up and start talking to you. People even bought us a drink, yeah. And I remember, now I know who it was. I remember the bartender was the first one. She bought us several drinks, but it was Leslie. Yeah, it was Leslie, and she, she was talking to me, and she said, you know, um, you all are new, and, but I, I don't, I, I didn't, now I, do, I didn't remember seeing um, Juanita. I just remember talking to this very nice lady named Leslie, who really, really, the bar, she, behind the bar, she really made us feel comfortable. But then they started telling us about the other bar, Charlene's, and you would make your circle days and nights and nights and whatever. Then you finally try to go in. And when I went to Charlene, the first night I went to Charlene's, it was wonderful. I didn't feel the tense, you know. Nobody noticed we walked in for one thing. <laughs> and all the other bars, when the door opened, everybody looking. Charlene, nobody noticed we walked in. Nobody even noticed the door open. You know, I just walk up to the bar and started talking, and Charlene was a very friendly place, very, very friendly. You know, they didn't treat you any different than the strangers, you know, like a stranger or anything like that. And I said, I think I've arrived. You know, <laughs> this is what the gay life is about. But. Yet when I leave the club, I would go back to the closet. I'd go back and I could feel the difference. I was happy. And then I'd go back to the closet. I'd go back to being the straight female. Paula's partner, Donna Beche Kilborn, recalls white bars as sometimes welcoming but also laced with subtle forms of racism. And I, I did, because a lot of times I would have a lot of fun there. So I'm like, I'm going because I'm having fun. And I had a lot of white friends, so mm -hmm. I would go with them. Um, and sometimes I would feel like I was the token black person there, you know. And a lot of times white women would come up to me and ask me my opinion because I was representing the race. You know, I don't want to do that. I'm just one person. I can only give you my opinion. I can only share with you my experience. You know, you need to go out there and talk to some other black people. All of us have a lot of internalized racism and a whole lot of internalized homophobia. And that is especially true in the black community. And in New Orleans, I don't know if you know, in New Orleans, it, it's even more stratified because 
you know, there's the light-skinned black people, the middle-class black people, the dark-skinned black people, you know, the people from the projects. It's, it's you know, there's, there's all of these different layers of, of things that go on. There is a lot of class and racial things that go on within the community and a lot of it is fostered by the larger community in the area um, you know because there's a lot of that in the straight community it bleeds over definitely bleeds over in into into our gay community you know the same barriers that we had in in uh New Orleans as a whole, we had and we have in, in the gay community. Alda eventually got a job bartending at Charlene's. You know, after I was bartending, I noticed those same women like my girlfriend and I who uh, were just sitting in their cars across the street watching. I, um, you know, I was I was aware several times of watching them with great trepidation cross well to the neutral ground of Elysian Fables and then kind of make it to the corner and and watch them from the bar through the one-way glass get up their gumption to walk in. So these stories that we played these this week. Alda mm -hmm. and Paula. I love them both so much. Mm -hmm. um, and their stories are parallel in so many ways. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're talking about all the, the really real differences and divisions um, and inequities that are created by racism. And there's still something in there stories that is so strikingly parallel hmm. um you know they're both these country girls um from small towns in the deep south who are queer women who mm -hmm. found a way to come out mm -hmm. um and paula actually heard alda's story before she told me her story mm. she came to a listening party that we had last year and um she heard alda's story about coming out she heard alda talking about um the younger women coming into the bar in their flannel shirts and their shit kicking boots and she came up to me afterwards and was saying you know that was me i was that country girl who was looking for a place to go who was waiting nervously across the neutral neutral ground trying to cross over um, mm -hmm. and finally make it into that space where I would feel safe to be my whole self. It would make you circle days and nights and nights and whatever. I don't know, I really appreciate that connection between them, it doesn't in any way erase the real differences. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but uh, but it does bring them together. <laughs> Alda's a white woman, right? And she is really passionate about uprooting racism. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, talks about that with all of the women in her life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that comes from her experience of coming out. Mm. Probably comes from a lot of things. Um, but there was something in her experience of being other mm-hmm. um, that that I think has given her this passion for uprooting all kinds of oppression. This was the only place they had to come to too. So they would drive to New Orleans and they would, and it, it was scary and I understood that. And I was in tears, literally in tears behind the bar just aching for them to come on in the door. And when I could, I would leave behind the bar and go open the door and say, hey, darling, where are you from, Hancock County? Yeah. I said, well, come on in here. You Come on in here. We want you at the right place and just welcome them in. Or or sometimes you would see them, I would see them come in and watch them follow the crowd and they just keep walking until they were in the far corner on the other side of the pool table and they would just congregate in that corner. Even, you know, at work, I felt like I would put a mask on. Uh, when I went home, I would put a mask on. I had to go to church, I'd put a mask on. And in the bar, I felt free. The clubs more or less gave you that freedom that you could not have in the real world. And thank God the clubs were there. I, I thank God for Charlene's and Les Pierre's and um, uh, even Cock and Bull, you know, even Half Moon and um, all the clubs that down here, uh, the one on the Legion Field, I, I, because it it gave me a chance if I worked Monday through Friday and I wore that that mask and those clothes that didn't really fit me. But on Friday nights and Saturday nights, I could be me. I could put on my blue jeans, put on my boots, and I could go out and look as butch as I wanted to look. And the bar saved me. It was my freedom. And I'm so glad that they did. It was the only time that I could be me. I could I could watch if they would like decide who was going to go up to the bar and buy a drink from that lesbian market. You know, I mean, it was just it was it was it was I mean it still was just precious. But at the time, it just totally pulled my heart. But those women were in there. You know, and everybody was in there. You just all had to inhabit the same space. And it did not always go peacefully, but it was never boring.
Thank you for listening to Last Call. The voices you heard in order are Leslie Martinez, Juanita Pierre, Alda Talley, Paula Kilborn, and Donna Beche Kilborn. Stay tuned to lastcallnola.org slash podcast for bonus episodes coming soon, featuring commentary from community members on issues that are brought up in the stories we're sharing. This episode was produced by Rachel Lee, Free For All, and Peter Bowling, with original music by Free For All and Peter Bowling. Last Call's core organizers are Rachel Lee, Bonnie Gable, Blue Rain, Aaron Roussel, and Bear Hebert. To learn more about Last Call or to make a donation, check out lastcallnola.org. <laughs>